Okay, we are in Acts, the book of Acts. And we are in Acts 26. Paul is making his defense before King Agrippa. And Festus is there, of course. And we finished up with verse 8 last time where Paul underscored the need for, for the resurrection. Uh, to be that, that being real in people's lives. And then he says in verse 9, So then, I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues. I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. While I was so enraged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Okay, so, um, in his defense, he, he, he broke in with an interlude. So, in verse 4, he's talking about his manner of life in Jerusalem. And in verse 5, he talked about how he had been a Pharisee of the sect of the Pharisees. And then 6 and 7 was this little interlude where he talks about the resurrection. But then he gets back. 6, 7, and 8. And then in verse 9, he gets back and he connects again with verse 5. He says, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus Christ. He had to do many things hostile, he thought, to himself, because he was a Pharisee of the strictest sect of his religion. And he thought that this was some infiltration on the faith. And He says, and this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, but having received authority from the chief priests, but when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. You may remember back in Acts, I believe it's Acts chapter 7, Stephen was being being stoned to death. Paul had, had approved of this. Paul was holding the coats. It says he was a young man, so he was holding the cloaks of the people who were actually throwing the stones at Stephen. And What he says, he says that I cast, but when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul was not a member of the Sanhedrin, but the vote for death was also given to him as as it was to many of the senior people. And he was casting his vote against them. And actually what it was was to drop a black stone. So they were given a, a, a stone, and if they dropped this black stone, it says their vote was cast against them. It says when they were being put to death. So in other words, it was more than just Stephen who was put to death. When they were being put to death, there were many believers, 
many believing Jews that were put to death by the Jewish establishment. So long before there was ever persecution of Christians upon Jews, there was persecution of Jews upon Jewish believers in the Messiah. And Paul says, I put them in prison and, and, and uh, uh, I cast my vote against them. And he says, I thought to myself in verse 9 that I had to do many hostile things to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So he was thinking to himself, I have to do this. I am moved to, move, moved to do this. So you think about religious fanaticism. It is not just in our, our day, today. Paul, a Jew, felt that he had to do this. He thought to himself, this is something that I really must do. And so this, this, is, this type of, of fanaticism, of feeling that you have to do another wrong because of their faith doesn't match up with yours, is not a new thing. Paul felt the same way. And he, and he says, um, verse 11, uh, And as I punished them often in the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. So he would try to force them to blaspheme. So he would, he would trap them in, in, in trials to try to say something that would force them to blaspheme. And if you remember, we had talked about the trial of Jesus, the, the charge of blasphemy. They had to mention the name of God. They had to mention Yahweh to be a formal charge of blasphemy. So he would try to force them to mention that name within, within what they were saying. And it says, Being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. So he was furiously enraged. This is where he was. This is the state in which he was. He was angry. And he was chasing them. In, in verse 12, he was journeying to Damascus. So he had authority from the chief priests. He says with, in verse 12, with the authority and commission of the chief priests. So he didn't just have the commission of one. He had the commission of several. Because he says, with the authority and commission of the chief priests. So he had many of them. He had their authority to do this. And he says he, he was on his way to Damascus and he kept pursuing them to foreign cities. But what I want to focus in on is, he says in verse 11, he was furiously enraged at them. What, did, what does the NIV say? For furiously enraged. Somebody's got the NIV. What? In my obsession against them. Alright, so he was obsessed against them. Mine says he was furiously enraged. Have you ever been furiously enraged? Yeah, Charles has. I have. Like every day, <laughs> something hits me. No, but have you ever really been furiously enraged? Haven't you ever been really angry and, and just banging out an email? <laughs> Haven't you ever done that? My what? My hand. Yeah, I... She really wants me to tell my hand story. <laughs> I broke my hand once. Yeah, I did. I was, I was paying the bills because in, in our home, I pay the bills. And I was paying the bills and there was never enough money. Now, this was a long time ago, but still, nothing has changed. There's never enough money to pay all the bills. And I was angry and I took the checkbook and I threw it down. And just as I was going down, there was the corner of the kitchen counter that came to a 90 degree angle. And my, my small finger on my right hand caught that corner. 
and it broke. Not the corner, but my finger. <laughs> and I had this prison ministry at the time, and part of the way I would always welcome these prisoners, I would, I would be sure to shake their hand. That they, they knew that you know I didn't consider them so dirty that I wouldn't shake their hand. And it was terribly, terribly painful. And we had a Christmas dinner. And there were hundreds of them that would come to this dinner there in the institution. And, and it got so bad, finally I just said, sorry, I broke my hand, I couldn't do it. It was terrible. So I had to live with this thing. So anyway, that, that's the story. Yeah, I had to explain to people. They say, well, how'd your hand break? Um, hit it on the counter. <laughs> so, so, so I, yeah, I had to go, th- go through this and explain it to them. And in fact... The, the president of the university was there at the same time introducing the new dean, and I couldn't shake his hand. And then the new dean says, why can't I, what, what happened to your hand? So I went and had to go through the whole story of how I broke my hand throwing the checkbook down. <laughs> so anyway, he was so furiously enraged that he felt he had to kill them. Look at what was moving this man. Fury and rage. Have you ever been furiously enraged at something like Paul was there. Paul was so furiously enraged at this thing and what was going on, it got worse and worse. If we allow rage to fester, it gets worse and worse. So so this is what will happen. Rage will get worse as we allow it to fester if we do not deal with it. Like God had told Cain that that you have to get, get hold of this thing. Because it will get worse and worse. When we hit those states where we're furious and enraged, I guarantee you it is not from God. It is not from God. It is not something that that comes from God. There was this rage going on. We have to get hold of it. We have to get hold of this rage. And it has to be dealt with. If you don't, I'll tell you what happens to me. I start typing this email. And I get more and more angry as I'm typing. And, and uh, this is just something that happens to me. I just start feeling hot around my ears. I mean, just, just starting to go up. Shereen is laughing because she knows this is probably true. And, and, I, and this is like God's warning to me. You don't want to send that email. You don't want to send it. And so sometimes when I can think a little bit, I will put my name and send it to myself. That way I haven't wasted all this effort, so if I really want to send it again, I'll have it to send it. And I'll send it to myself, and I know that even if it's an hour later, if I read this thing, I'm like, oh, yuck. I don't want to send this email. I really don't want to. Have you ever sent an email you wish you hadn't? Yeah. Yeah, and, and so... so um, and then, you know, I've had emails from people that they wish they hadn't sent, and then they send a retraction. Have you ever gotten retraction emails? That, that, that uh, I retract the former email. And, and, and I guess that's, that's, that's nice. I mean, <laughs> it's something that is hard to do with words, but I guess you could go and say, I retract, sorry about what I said. But I've had people retract emails. But, it, but anyway, this rage starts to get hold of us. It's not unusual to Paul. It's just that he allowed the thing to fester and now just dealing with the believers in Jerusalem wasn't enough. He's got to go to Damascus. I mean, they're not anywhere near him. They're in a totally different province, in in, in a totally different city in in Damascus, way to the north, which is in present-day Syria, but was of technically of the same province at the time under the Roman area of provinces. 
he's going there to go after these people. And so how do you, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with the fact that Paul was so enraged? Look what he says in, back in Acts chapter 24, verse 16. He says, Acts 24, 16, In view of this, I do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience both before God and before men. So Paul could maintain a blameless conscience. His conscience was blameless. Both before God and before men, he had a blameless conscience. So how could he do that if he had been so enraged and he had cast his lot against people so that they'd be killed? How could he maintain a blameless conscience? Because the man knew how to ask forgiveness and move on. It is amazing what he could do. Look at what Jesus says in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 26. Acts, Acts chapter 26, verse Verse uh, 15. Look, it says, uh, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. So Paul is on his way to Damascus. And all of a sudden, the very people that he is persecuting, their Lord appears to him on the road to Damascus in a light, it says, that was brighter than the midday sun. In Israel, the sun is so intense, so intense, if you don't have sunglasses, you just have to squint, and, and, the, and the, the, the ground is, is this grayish color, so, so there's all this reflection. It says it was brighter than the midday sun. And he says, Saul, Saul, in verse 14, why are you persecuting me? And then in verse 15, he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus, who are you persecuting? Go. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Paul was so driven, he thought in himself, he has to torture these people. Now, all of a sudden, the Lord of these people says, you're persecuting me. He falls to the ground, as does every one of them, because of the brightness of this light, starts to speak to him. Now he hears a voice in the Hebrew dialect. In another account of this passage, the people with him heard a sound, but they could not discern a voice. And he says, you're persecuting me. And then look what Jesus says to him in verse 16. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you. Paul is probably thinking, can I just lay here a while? I'm really sorry about what I did. I'm so sorry about what I did. What I'd like to do is I would like to wallow in my sorrow for a while. Because that's what I do. When I really blow it, I feel like I have to wallow in sorrow for a while. I have to beat my back with chains till the point that it bleeds. And I have to walk around in depression at least for a few days to show how remorseful I am and become totally ineffective for the case of the gospel because I'm showing God that I'm really sorry about this, and so I'm going to be totally ineffective. And look at what Jesus says to him. Mm -mm. No time to wallow in this. Get up, stand on your feet, you've got a job to do. Isn't that tremendous? That God doesn't want us wallowing in our sorrow because of all the times we blow it. If we are going to wallow in sorrow for very long, say, say, all right, three days is, is, is my pity party. You will never be affected because after three days you'll blow it again. Before the three days are even up, you'll blow it again. 
And you'll be having this pity party thinking of how terrible you are. And you'll be totally ineffective. And Jesus is saying, stop! Get up! Stand on your feet! Enough! i got a call for you. This encourages me. Because I have this feeling like, you know, finally. You know, I've known the Lord for 30 years. You'd think that I would stop blowing it. You know, it, it, it takes four years to get an undergraduate degree. It takes another four or five to get a Ph.D. So I could have had several Ph.D.s in being good by now. <laughs> and still I blow it all the time. But Jesus says, get up, stand on your feet. No time for pity parties. And so look at what Paul says about his own life. Look in Philippians 3, verse 13. Philippians 3.13, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as, as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So in Philippians 3.13 and 14, he says, I press on. This is what I do. He says, I forget what lies behind and I press on toward the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If Paul didn't forget what lies behind, I'm telling you he would have been totally ineffective. You think you have done wrong? How many people have you condemned to death just for the fact that they believe in Jesus? Oh, none. Okay, so you have... How many people have you chased down into foreign cities and had them thrown in prison because they believe in Jesus? None. Okay. So Paul did all of this, and he says, I forget what lies behind. But his forget is not the forget that I can't remember. He remembers it. He's recounting. Forgetting in a Christian sense is not that I can't remember what I've done. No, we remember what we do, and for good reason. If we didn't remember what we were like in the past, it would be terrible for us to be patient with people around us who are struggling. To be able to remember our past keeps us from being judgmental toward others because we're like, oh, I've been just like you. Forgetting what lies behind means that I'm not dwelling there. I'm no longer dwelling there because if I sit here and dwell on all the times that I have blown it as a husband, as a father, as a professor, as a mentor, as a, as, a, as a discipler, I mean, I would never get up. I'd just go, just spiral right down the drain. And, and feel good about spiraling down the drain, feeling this is my lot. This is what I deserve. And Jesus says, get up. Stand up. You have a work to do. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Jesus doesn't say, oh, Paul, let's, let's recount all the things you've done wrong. So, by the way, where are you going today on your trip to Damascus? What do you, what do you plan to do? Sightseeing? <laughs> Jesus doesn't say any of this. He doesn't recount. He doesn't say, oh, Paul, it started with your rage problem. You have the R problem. Rage. You know? That's your problem. That's where it all started. Why don't you go... You know, go into counseling for the next four years, and we'll first, we'll get at the heart of this. Listen, let's go back to the beginning. Probably happened when you were a child. Probably, I'm sure it was your mother or your father who's really responsible. Isn't that true, Paul? 
And so you have all this pent-up rage. And you went through, you know, the school of the Pharisees. And that, that, you know, caused all this to fester all the more. So I understand. Let's just work with this. Let's go with this. Just go with it. Now, now start, start coming out with it. No, he says, enough. That's done. We are moving on. I got a job for you. I am so glad he deals with me this way. That I don't have to sit there and dwell on this thing. Because I am so good at beating myself up. And like I've said before, I can sit in the corner, pull my knees up to my chest, and just rock back and forth. (laughs) And just feel sorry for myself. I really can do that. That's what I will do. Have you ever done that? (laughs) Beyond, you know, the age of four? You know? People do that all the time. It's grown people. They really do. If you think you're the only one who's ever felt like doing that or done it, you're not alone. I've done it. He says, get up and move on. That is the beautiful thing of this. And Paul says, I forget what lies behind you. You know what bothers people? What bothers even believers is they will see me blow it and how quickly I can recover. And it bothers them. What? How, how can he be like this? He's forgotten what he's really like. No, I haven't forgotten, but I'm letting go of what lies behind. And it bothers other believers that some believers can recover as quickly as they do and get on with their walks with the Lord. Yeah, I blew it. I'm sorry. I really am sorry. But I'm going on. I'm not going to stay there. I'm not going to sit here all day and say I'm sorry to you. I'm going on. This is important to get hold of. Important to get hold of. Because I think in our society, we want to to fan this flame of personal sorrow. And we're through every permutation of this thing. Paul had no counseling session other than Jesus' counseling session. Get up. Let's move on. I have a call for you. So if Paul had to deal with it, you know, he had to deal with it while he was pretty busy. Dealing with other things. It's because we have so much time on our hands that we sit there dwelling on these things. You know, in other generations, people were just fighting for their lives the whole time. You never had time to dwell on these things. He moved on. Paul said, this is my life. I look at the same way with King David. David was the same way. How do you take a man who has whatever wives he wants, all that he wants, and then he takes another man's wife, He sleeps with her. He hides her pregnancy. He kills her husband and has several people killed in the midst of this. Still doesn't admit it. Then has to be confronted by by Nathan, God's high priest, who puts his finger in his face and says, David, that's you. So it wasn't that David, you know, all of a sudden offered this explanation. He said, you know, I've done really wrong. It's because he was confronted by God's prophet. And David wept, he went and he sat in the temple, he repented, he got up and he washed his face and he got on with his business and he said, God have mercy on me. And you look at a man, how can he do that? How many people would be effective after doing that sort of thing, effective for God? No, they would be wallowing in their sorrow. So much so they would be wholly ineffective. But God says, get up. And move on. This is so important in Christian life. To be able to forget 
what lies behind. There are pains that hit us. Pains that we have no responsibility for. There are things, you know, women get raped. People get abused. Young men get sexually abused. Young women get sexually abused. Kids get sexually abused. If we dwell there, we will be ineffective. And God says, enough. Stand up and move on. Forget what lies behind. Not in the sense that you can forget it totally, but you're not dwelling there. The Bible says, whatever is good, whatever, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is holy, if there's anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Let your mind dwell on the things that are good, or else it will hold you back again and again and again. One day you will have children, and you will do something to those children, and you'll think, I just did to that child what my mother did to me, and I swore I would never do that. And if you sit there and dwell on this failure in your life, then you'll be totally ineffective. Just get up and move on. Say to the kid, I'm sorry. I did this. I know it was wrong. And you get up and you move on. This is Christian life. There, was, there wasn't a whole lot of time for recovery here. He says, in the same breath, verse 15, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet. Uh, how about a pause between my learning that it's Jesus that I was persecuting and asking me to get up? No pause. Nothing. Same, same, same passage. Just boom. It is right there. From one word to another, get up. Paul was so furiously enraged, he was going and he was doing this thing. And he's able to move on. This is an important lesson in Christian life. Being able to get up and move on. Get up and move on. You will blow it. You will blow it again. And as soon as you feel that, okay, I've got that password, you blow it again with something else. This is Christian life. A witness. You you, you know, I try to to maintain a a decent witness around my graduate students, around my colleagues. And, you know, I said something that, that we just shouldn't have said. You know, it was just an off color remark. And I know it, it was in front of people that look up to me. And, you know, I felt terrible about it. But I have to move on. I have to move on. I can't dwell there. It's going to be the same for you. Learning to move on in the things of God. This is what God has for us. Being able to move on to the next phase. Because He has these amazing things for Paul. And then in verse, in verse 18, he goes on and he starts sharing. And we'll, we'll talk about this next time. But he goes sharing what he has, what, what he's going to be doing to move on, what, what, what he has to do. And he puts before him all of these tasks. When you think of all the tasks that are before you, you don't have time to sit back and dwell on these things. As believers, remember, we are different than people in the world. People in the, in the world can spend their lives just catering to their own desires. You know, so, some people were sharing with me how, you know, they, 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 they visit here, they visit there. Every, every, every weekend they're going somewhere traveling. And I'm thinking, how come when I was their age, I couldn't do that? But when I, because when I was their age, which was 29, I had a wife and I had two children 
and I was a professor, and I was trying to build a research group, and then my weekends were filled because I was in service to the church and the body of Christ and doing ministry. Paul was the same way. Paul wasn't always filling his own likings. There was a service that filled up his life. And this is what we're going to begin to talk about. Christian service and what it means. It doesn't mean that you can't go on vacation. But it means that you don't spend every weekend vacationing or going fishing. That there is a service that we have to God that is so important. God lines it up with Paul of all the things that he is going to have to do now. He starts lining it up. This is what you're going to have to do. He calls us to Christian service. And we all have a choice. God never forces us. But if we don't walk in the highest that God has for us, we miss out and those that could have been touched through us miss out. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for the Scriptures, for the Word of God. It is so good. Father, I pray that You would take this Word and so impress it upon our hearts to be able to recover quickly from failure. And that when we're enraged, Father, to commit that to You, to pause, lest it fester like it did with Paul and it become more and more violent. Father, I pray that You teach us to recover quickly from our failures. Father, take these young people and use them in their lives, I pray. Father, pour out in their lives. 